If you love what you hear, check out our authors Andrea Stewart and N.A. Fulton on Amazon.com, and be sure to subscribe to our Dark Romance Novels and Stories podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast provider. Learn more about us at audioiron.com. Wedding Bones. A Dark Regency Mystery Romance by Andrea Stewart. Copyright 2022 by Nancy Fulton. All rights reserved. Find more great romances by Nancy Fulton on audioiron.com and amazon.com. Chapter 1. 1811 Ardley, England. Still dizzy from the laudanum, heart-pounding, the Viscountess of Winnesley stared down at her dead husband's corpse. The rash, the vomit. The once handsome body folded double from abdominal pain. How on earth had it come to this? She knew she must keep her head. But she had every reason to panic. Panic was sensible at this moment. It was rational. It was necessary. Henry was dead. Her poison had killed him. That meant she and Sophia were both going to hang. No one would listen to their excuses. No one would believe she'd brewed something up that she couldn't bear to use, or that her sister might have used such a weapon in self-defense. A woman had no right to defend herself against rape through murder. A woman had no right to defend herself at all. Think very carefully, Arya. Who can you save? Arya heard the words as if her dead father were in the room with her. He had asked her that a hundred times during the brutal cholera epidemic that had finally taken his life. She had tried to help him working desperately to save the lives of those who were dying all around them in their little village. She had continued to work even when he had collapsed, unable to cure himself as he had cured others. Now she was alone in the world with only his words to guide her. Save who you can. Some will suffer but live if you do nothing. Some will die no matter what you do. To save lives, my darling, you must focus on those who will survive only with your help. Dizzy, nauseated. She left her husband dead on the floor near his chamber pot and stumbled back into her room, then let herself out its unlocked door into the dimly lit upper hall of the manor house. Four beeswax candles in mirrored sconces on the walls, and the wide gap in the middle of the hall that admitted moonlight from the gallery, provided her with barely enough illumination to see her bare feet. Clad in just a thin lawn nightgown, she made her unsteady way down the hall to the servant's stair using the wall for support. Never had the doctor's opiate left her feeling so ill and unsteady on her feet. Then again, had she not stirred and seen Henry's body through the open door to his room, she would have slept until morning. Half-drugged as she was, it was a wonder she could walk at all. Stepping from the stairwell onto the second floor of the manor, she saw its dozen doors all closed and dark, illuminated only by the moonlight that poured into the hall from the gallery it overlooked. Under the door closest to her, she saw a glimmer of light. As she crept toward it, she heard her sister sobbing hysterically inside. As her hand touched the brass handle of the door, she heard the low tones of a male voice. Her heart sank as she opened the door. There was Sophia, all of fifteen, held tight in the arms of her seventeen-year-old footman. The very tall and darkly handsome young man was still dressed in his livery, his blue braided jacket thrown over a chair. Sophia, cherubic face red from weeping, eyes closed. Raymond of chestnut hair spilling everywhere, 
was wearing a thin shift that left nothing to the imagination. Could there be a more incriminating sight on earth? Arya stepped into the room and closed the door. Robert Davis, hearing the sound, looked toward her. Sophia. Let me go. He disentangled himself from the weeping girl and rose. He squared his shoulders, lifted his chin, and spoke. My lady, forgive me. Arya raised her hand to stop him from speaking more. She had no time for his excuses or his protestations of love. She knew why he was here, why Sophia was crying, and why Henry was dead. The pair of them had taken it upon themselves to kill Henry. Well, had she not considered committing the same crime? Had she not planned for it? Who was she to judge these two? Arya moved to Sophia, now staring at her with abject misery. She gathered the girl's small warm body into her arms and held her tight. I told Henry not to touch me. I told him it was wrong, I begged him to leave me alone, but he would not stop. I want only Robert. I love him so very much. I know my darling, said Arya, stroking her hair. My lady. She called upon me, and I had not the heart to refuse. Hush Robert. What's done is done, said Arya, looking up at him. Arya had no faith in providence, but justice was something she could believe in. While a footman was not the match she would have chosen for her sister, Arya recognized that Robert had earned the girl's devotion. A man who would risk the hangman's noose to protect your honor was as noble a man as might be found in this terrible world. This young man loved Sophia, and she loved him. That would have to be enough. Arya took Sophia by her shoulders and pushed her back, shaking her a little to make her stop weeping. We have no time for tears Sophie. If you wish to marry, you and Robert must leave now, within the hour. You must be very far away before anyone knows you are gone. Marry? You said it was impossible. Would Henry ever allow it? The girl asked, hope widening her eyes. Arya knew her sister must be in shock. Surely she must know Henry was dead. And yet, this was an unimaginably terrible evening, and her sister was the soul of innocence. Perhaps she could not face what she had done, or the penalty she and her beloved might be expected to pay. Everything is different now dear sister. Rise now and dress in your brown gown. The old one I gave you before we ever came here. Bind up your hair, put on that brown bonnet, and then your sturdy walking shoes. Robert is going to take you downstairs to wait for me, then tonight you will let him walk with you into town. You want us to walk at night? We are very near London now Sophia. The Royal Roads never sleep. Mail coaches run from the eastern ports into the city at all hours. Robert will take you into town and a coach will have you in London by morning. Tomorrow Robert will book passage for both of you, just as we planned. I am going to Virginia. Sophia was clearly astonished, though she and Daria had been quietly discussing escape for many months. Aria turned to Robert. You wish to marry my sister, I presume? Of course I do. I trust you understand she cannot remain here, in England and why she will never be safe. To have her, you must leave now. Robert looked baffled, and Aria realized she must be blunt. Still a glance at Sophie she said. The Viscount is dead. Do you understand? Henry died? Sophia asked in astonishment. Robert looked stunned, but said nothing. His eyes flicked from Aria to Sophia, and back again. His face went white and he became very grim. Else, 
He would never let Sophia and I marry. I understand, my lady. But you have to come with us, Arya. We can't leave you here, said Sophia, clutching at her arm. Arya wondered if her sister had quite lost her mind to shock, but she had no time to probe her sanity or counsel her now. Every second mattered. She drew herself up. I am the Viscountess, and sole mistress of this house for the time being. Robert brought himself here all the way from Wales, and he has been to London half a hundred times. I am ordering him to take you into the city and travel with you to Virginia. It is just as you and I have discussed. I cannot come with you Sophia, for you must leave tonight and I have important matters to deal with here. Arya drew herself away to make it clear to Sophia that she must do as she was told. I am to go alone? How can this be possible? Sophia asked. No, you shall go with Robert. You will go and find Dr. Langley in Richmond, and you will leave word of where you are living. When I arrive, he will tell me where you can be found. Arya turned to the footman. Do you understand what I am asking you to do? Yes, my lady. I promise that I will take good care of Sophia. I love her with my whole heart. Of course you do. Who could not? Go quickly and quietly now. Meet me near the gate and I'll give you money to buy the things you need on your journey and to pay for your passage. Robert turned to Sophia. Dress quickly Lady Sophia. We must do as your sister says. Yes Robert. She said, docile as a lamb. I'll need to change clothes as well. He said, glancing at Arya, then back at his one true love. We must look like a young husband and wife going into service in the city. So hurry my darling. We must away quickly. Arya left the room then, shutting the door softly behind her. As she crept down the corridor back to the servant's stair, she pressed her hand to her aching head, and firmly rejected an impulse to say a prayer for the very young couple in love. Maybe God didn't exist. Perhaps he simply hated her. Arya didn't know which might be true, but she did know that no prayer of hers had ever been answered. In fact, quite the opposite. When she prayed for a thing, it was always denied her. Her mother had died despite all her prayers, as had her father. Her devout appeal to God for a painless, perhaps even pleasant, wedding night had been answered with nothing but cruelty. She would never again pray. No prayer was required for all to go well. Simply adroit action. Day and night, people travelled along the Ardley Road for London. The road was a smooth, well-travelled thoroughfare, and the very heart of London was just three hours away. Day and night, ships set sail for the new world from the Pool of London. With enough money, Robert could put himself and his bride on some boat going to the New World. A thousand couples made the journey every day. The world would not notice if tomorrow there were one thousand and one. Arya crept back up the servant's stair to her room. The twinkling stars she saw through the windows reassured her she had many hours until dawn. It was perhaps half past midnight. No one would seek Henry until after nine the next morning, when he normally took breakfast. Arya entered her room and locked the door behind her. Moonlight pouring through the windows showed her bed, the standing mirror, her bureau littered with little bottles, her wardrobe, her chamber pot, and the pair of white upholstered chairs before the coals of her fire. All was still, calm, and orderly, belying the horror next door. She padded across the floor to the open door between the rooms. She could not help but stare down at Henry, dead on the floor illuminated by the weak light from the oil lamp near his bed. She saw the half-empty water glass, 
the empty whiskey glass, the pitcher of water, and the decanter of spirits. She'd been terrified of this hulking brute for so long, and he had hurt her so much, but now he was dead. She was not surprised her foxglove concoction made him dizzy, affecting the heart as it did. Overtaken by nausea, he must have risen from bed, only to swoon and strike his skull on something as he fell. Looking at the situation, she could not fathom how he had injured his head, but it hardly mattered now. Good riddance, she thought. You were an evil, bullying, brutish, lascivious beast of a man, and I am glad to be shut of you even if I hang. Arya moved to his locked money chest, which sat on the tall walnut dresser beside his body. She made sure her feet did not touch the blood that surrounded much of the area. It took her several minutes to find the key he used to lock the case. Henry had hidden it between the pages of a Bible he kept on the cabinet beside the box. Since Henry had never willingly parted the pages of that book, he assumed no one else would ever choose to do so either. As Arya inserted the key into the lock, she moved the little lamp on the bureau closer. This multi-drawer box was three feet long, two feet wide, and one foot high. Henry took the thing everywhere with him. It contained all the treasure he collected from cards, horse breeding, racing. Here, he also stored the rents collected from estate farms. From time to time, when Henry traveled to London, he would take the case with him and it would come back lighter due to the deposits he made in the Bank of England where the bulk of his wealth was stored. Henry might have been the worst of men, but he had been canny with his investments. His not over-large estate produced quite a lot of revenue. He was in no sense land rich and cash poor. Aria opened the long, thin drawer at the bottom of the case to discover handfuls of silver and gold coins. Realizing she had nothing to put money in, she went into her room, found her old reticule, the one she had purchased when she was merely a doctor's daughter. She brought it back. Then she began dropping coins into the bag. She could not take all the money, for surely it would be missed. But she was certain she could take as much as half, with no one being the wiser. Henry, and only Henry, managed his funds. For a few moments she contemplated a man's gold ring, a sparkling necklace probably won in a card game, and a silver and ruby brooch that she found among the coins. These items were worth far more than the gold and silver coins she had already collected, but they might be instantly recognized as stolen as well. Reluctantly, she left them in the drawer and relocked the case. Returning the key to the pages of the Bible, she returned to her room. Taking pen and paper, she wrote a brief note introducing her sister to Dr. Langley, asking him to offer her every aid in remembrance of their father. She signed this using her maiden name, then sealed the missive with red wax. She penned a second note she left unsealed. This contained a list of instructions. She was not entirely certain Robert could read, but Sophia certainly could. Aria instructed the couple to go to London, purchase clothes and other items suitable for young immigrants, and to book passage to any city in the New World. It really mattered not which city they selected since they could travel to Virginia once they had arrived in the colonies. Aria knew the passage would cost as much as £16 for a private cabin. She warned them to hide their money on their person, setting aside a small amount to give to thieves if they were robbed. When Aria was done writing, she stood up, moved to the window, and looked down. She could just make out Robert and her sister waiting under a tree near to the manor gate. Much recovered from the drug she'd taken earlier in the night, Arya let herself out of her room, closing the door firmly behind her. She darted toward the balustrade in the middle of the hall and looked down into the gallery at the center of the house. From there she could see the checkered marble floor of the foyer three floors below.
could see the open doors into the library and drawing rooms. Nothing stirred. She listened to the silence for a long moment, then slipped down the necessary two flights of marble steps in bare feet. A hundred of Henry's dead forebears reviled her from every picture frame on every wall as she passed by, and she had to remind herself she did not care if these dead aristocrats hated her. She hated them as well. They had bred a monster for her to marry. Reaching the front door, she unlocked it, pulled it open enough to let her out, then closed it behind her. She looked around the silent courtyard, then rushed across the muddy stone drive. Near the gate, she found the grass wet and cold on her feet. She handed her sister the reticule, then pulled her into a hard hug. Oh Arya, please come with us. Can you not? I'm too afraid to go without you. Don't be a silly goose, Sophia. Criminals, the poor, working men, and families, set sail every day for the new world, and arrive in six weeks entirely alive and well. I expect nothing less of you. I will follow as soon as matters here are settled. You are to think only of yourself and Robert now. Promise me. I do not want to go, but I will since you say I must. I love you Arya and I will miss you very much. Please come to me soon. Said Sophia softly. Arya turned and held up her arms to embrace Robert. When her mouth was close to his ear, she whispered. You will both hang if you are not on a ship within a day. You must fly like the very wind. You have all the funds and instructions you need in her little bag. Save my sister's life, Robert, and you will ever and always be my own dear brother. Robert, clearly moved, pulled Arya to him and held her tight. I swear it. He whispered. Then he pecked Arya on the cheek, pulled back, and met her eyes soberly. Sophia and I must go my lady. Turning to his beloved, Robert said. Come, we must catch the mail coach. It leaves within the hour. Arya watched the young couple in dark clothes run through the open gate and onto the road that would take them to a new life. When Arya had first come here, still wearing the bruises from the sexual assaults that had comprised her honeymoon, Henry's well-sprung carriage and fast horse had navigated the roads to Ardley arriving well after dark. Arya had been shocked at how many coaches they passed on the wide road despite the late hour, and Henry had rudely remarked on her ignorance. He had fixed her with his bright blue eyes, his lips curling with derision to say, I have married myself a country bumpkin. In your sleepy bog, come sundown, I suppose everyone goes to bed. Well, I have brought you to London, to the heart of a maritime empire that spans the world. A million souls live in the city proper and the road to Ardley sees a dozen mail coaches a day. A letter sent from Southend-on-Sea will reach Buckingham Palace in under a day. A letter from Cambridge will arrive in two. Aria never understood why he spoke to her so unkindly, treated her so rudely, or why he had married her at all. She had thought him handsome to start. He was over six feet tall, broadly built, fair-haired, fair-skinned, with a wide brow, thick neck broad back, and muscular chest. After her father died, when he had courted her, he had treated her with a kind of hollow romanticism, painting over the transaction of buying her as a bride by paying her father's debts with references to her beauty and grace. But from the second the knot was tied, he had been nothing but chiding, controlling, and cold. Seventeen miles to London. By dawn, Sophia and Robert should be at the shipyards, where they could buy a berth and purchase all else they needed. By sunset or shortly thereafter, they could be at sea. Certainly, 
In two days, or three, they could be aboard a boat. Vessels left for the New World with every tide. Every ship carried passengers, since they were the highest paid cargo of all. Sophia, at least, would be free. And if Arya had to hang to save her sister's life, so be it. Save who you can, as her father said. Arya darted back across the yard, let herself back inside the house, and locked the door. She listened to the great silent manor, waiting for any sound of alarm, looking for any sign of wakefulness. Instead, the weight of the monstrous house bore down on her, silent and still as a mausoleum. Sophia was gone, and Arya felt her absence. All joy was draining from her world. She would have no one, not a single soul, who cared for her. She would be entirely alone from now on. Arya forced herself to abandon her maudlin thoughts. Sophia was not safe yet. Arya was not yet bound for the gallows. There was everything to win and everything to lose in the next few days. She must take stock. Henry had never seen fit to fully staff his country manor. Now that Sophia and Robert had gone, and Henry was dead, a butler, a lady's maid, two footmen, a cook, two housemaids, and two scullery maids remained in the house. Nine people on four floors. The ladies' maid and housemaids had rooms on the fourth floor, under the eaves. The footmen, cook, butler, and scullery maids had rooms at the rear of the house near the kitchens. In the coach house, four groomsmen, a gamekeeper, and an odd assortment of stable boys were bedded down. All was silence. Aria ran across checkerboard marble floor of the foyer, up the marble steps to the first landing, then up the second set of steps to the third floor. She darted down the dark hall, into her bedroom and locked her door. She then stepped into her husband's room, to once again examine the slab of meat Henry had become. Thankfully, or unthankfully as the case might be, her experience helping her father during the cholera epidemic had all but eliminated her fear of the dead. Moving the light near to Henry's face, she saw it was twisted into a rictus grimace. A quick pair of pokes from her index finger let her know his arms and legs were already stiffening. The vomit covering his chest was drying into a hard, vile smelling paste. Moving the light, she could just make out a deformation of his skull over his left temple. The flesh was swollen, bruised, and the skin had been cut somehow, letting his blood pour onto the floor. She stood up and tried to make sense of what she saw. He had been vomiting into his chamber pot, had tried to stand, had fainted, and hit his head on something. Was that right? Looking about, she couldn't ascertain what his head might have hit as he fell. As she moved the light closer to the bed, she saw there was blood on his pillow. Had Henry taken the poison, fallen, risen, gone back to bed, gotten up, then fallen again? She could not make sense of the blood in the bed in any other way. And when had he died? She had gone to bed after dinner, expecting him to come to her not long later. She had taken the laudanum in preparation. But, as she had no new bruises or other telltale signs of Henry's aggressive sexual congress, she knew he had not. What had gone on here as she slept? Arya forced herself to stop trying to figure out what had happened to Henry. The great cruel oaf was dead. That was all that mattered. The question now was, what should she do? Clean him up? Put him in a nightshirt? Get him into bed so the household could believe he had died mysteriously in his sleep? Henry weighed well over two hundred pounds. She weighed perhaps a hundred and ten. He was naked, and his limbs were already stiff. She could not imagine how she could stuff his corpse into one of his dressing gowns, and there was no way she could lift someone so heavy three feet onto the bed. No, she must leave him where he lay. 
she looked at the water glass on his bedside table. It sat beside a water pitcher, a whiskey bottle, and a glass that had once held whiskey. She saw the water glass was more than half full. When she picked it up and held it to her nose, she could smell the foxglove concoction she had brewed up just days ago. Obviously, Henry had tasted the poison because he hadn't emptied the water glass, as was his custom. He drank a full glass of whiskey and a full glass of water every night before bed. She should never have told Sophia of Henry's whiskey and water habit. She should not have gone into such great detail on how she would do him in. If she had not, Sophia never would have taken matters into her own hands. Aria carried the glass into her room, raised one of her windows, and dumped most of the liquid outside. When there were only a few teaspoons left, she returned to Henry's room, filled the glass to the brim with water, and drank it in one long gulp. Hurriedly, striving to keep the foul mixture down, she filled the glass from the pitcher twice more, and drained it each time before she returned it empty to its place on Henry's table. The more the poison was diluted, the less dangerous it became. So her father had told her once. But was that always true? For every poison? She hoped so. Christ, how had Henry taken so much of the mixture? It was so incredibly bitter and foul-tasting. Were she to ever use this poison again, she would add it to spirits, not to water. Feeling truly ill now, she left Henry's room and went back to her own bed. It was only as she was about to slide her feet under the blankets that she realized they were mud-blackened and her dress was green-stained by grass. How would she ever explain that? Had she tracked dirt all the way from the front door to this room? Aria got out of her bed, pulled off her nightgown, and poured water from the ewer onto it to make it wet. Fighting extreme nausea, she washed her feet clean, then she rolled the gown into a ball and stuck it way under her mattress where the housemaids wouldn't find it unless the bed was fully stripped and the mattress turned. She would have to get rid of the nightdress in the next day or two. Walking to her wardrobe, she found another gown to put on. A flannel nightdress that was more suitable for winter than spring. Still, she was too ill to search for something lighter. Shaking now, she crossed the room and sat on the edge of her bed. Something made her turn and look at the mirror. She had never known a murderer, had never seen one to her knowledge, and yet that was what she had become. Her father had taught her how to cure. Henry had forced her to kill. The woman in the glass looked not so different from Sophia in feature. Her hair was gold and auburn, not chestnut brown, and her eyes looked like green coals in her head. But she too was slender and had two delicate, almost elfin, features. Who would ever believe such a young woman could commit murder? No one, she hoped. A wave of nausea suddenly hit her very hard. Instantly she was at her own chamber pot, vomiting the fish she'd had for dinner into it. How long ago had she eaten? Four hours? She couldn't remember. With each wave of nausea came a wave of weakness. She soon found herself kneeling over her chamber pot, her body doing all it could to expel the poison she had ingested. She had taken no more than a few teaspoons of the tincture she'd brewed, and already she was so violently ill. Would she die as well? When she could expel nothing more, she got herself into bed, got a pillow under her head, and covered her shaking body with a linen sheet and wool blankets. Moments later, she vomited again, covering herself with bile. Ah well, she thought weakly. The worse I look when they find me, the better. Mr. Bullens would call Dr. McKay, and Aria hoped he would say she and Henry had experienced a sudden sickness caused by spoiled food or disease. The good doctor was wrong every single minute of every single day, but this time, Aria hoped his errors would favor her. 
she prayed, as gut-wrenching agony took her again. Please God. Let Sophia and Robert reach Virginia safely. I will accept the hangman's noose if it will save Sophia's life and let her live free. Please, God, if you only ever answer one of my prayers, let this be the one. Wedding Bones A Regency Mystery Romance Copyright 2022 by Nancy Fulton. All rights reserved. Find more great romances by Andrea Stewart on audioiron.com and amazon.com.